Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We hope you can step away from this message being encouraged and blessed and to move into your week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a great day. Shout out to myself for for, uh, bookmarking where we're going to be this morning. (laughs) You can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be there for a little bit, and then we're going to go to the book of Acts by way of 1 Thessalonians this morning. Amen? Sometimes life's not a straight shot. Should I preach on that for a second? We've been doing a series called The Church God Builds, and we've been looking through the book of Acts the last handful of weeks. Uh, This morning may or may not be the last week in the series. I can't decide yet, so we'll see how it goes. Next week's kind of flexible, so, you know, we'll see how it it happens. Maybe I'll just preach half of the sermon this week, get a little carried away. We'll pick it up next week. The Church God Builds. Anybody been encouraged by the book of Acts in the last handful of weeks? We've been talking about it in the life group, doing our time with God with it. It's just been amazing what God's been doing in the book of Acts. And uh, we've been looking at Acts not just because it's good stories of old, but we believe it's blueprint for who we are. It's the blueprint for the church God builds, and that's us. These aren't just stories that happen one time, but this is the stuff that God still does today, that we are still able to be a part of today. Just like we just read, just like we just did, there's more in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to cover a decent amount of ground this morning in Acts, and we're going to do some backstory, some history, some jumping around. So you got to bring your A game this morning. Are you are you ready? You got to bring your A game um, because, and we're going to do all that. You know, don't check out if history or backstory is not your thing. Uh, we we want to do that because we don't just want this preaching or this time together to be like inspiring. We want to like equip you on how to walk with God and read your Bible, and, and so it's good to know some other things that are going on, right? So we've all got a lot to learn this morning. It's going to be great. We are starting in First Thessalonians, chapter five. Blake, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. Blake, the man of God, Valentine. Um. Chapter 5, it's a short book, so you should be able to find chapter 5 easily. And we are going to read verses 8 through 11 as we get started this morning. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. First Thessalonians verse five, or chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Uh, there it is. It says this. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love And for a helmet, the hope, anybody have hope this morning? The helmet of, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. I I was under the impression that was good news this morning. (laughs) Excuse me. For God has not destined us for wrath. For God has not destined us for wrath. For God has not destined us to wrath. How could a good God let, I I don't know how it works, but God has not destined us for wrath. Come on, somebody. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody have salvation? If you're here this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus, today's a good day. We'll talk about it at the end. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep. Sometimes you're awake, right? Anybody ever felt awake in life? I'm firing on all cylinders. Things are going good. I'm awake. Anybody ever been awake? Anybody ever been asleep? Either way, you're still saved. 
who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, he's awake. Should we throw a stay woke joke out there? Or like, I don't know enough of what that means to go with it, so I'm just going to move on. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Man. God's not waiting for you to wake up to be close to you. Yeah, we'll just we'll take sec part two next week. I feel like this week's just going to stay here. We might not get to Acts. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here's where I really wanted to get to. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Have you ever been encouraged at this church? You ever been encouraged by somebody in this church? Good. Encourage one another. Build one another up just like you're doing. I think this was written to you. Build each other up. Encourage one another and build one another up. Why don't you underline that in your Bible, that, that build one another up. Build one another up. I want to preach a message to you this morning that has uh, a, the, sent, uh, the title is way more of a sentence than it is a title. I just didn't have enough creative juices, I guess, to shorten it this week. So this is what you got. In our series, The Church God Builds, I want you to write at the top of your notes, The Church God Builds, dot, 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 is full of people who build God's church. That's what I want to preach to you about this morning. The Church God Builds is full of people who build God's church. Encourage one another and build one another up. Let's build this morning. Encourage one another. Encouragement usually has sort of like a quaint connotation to it right like oh that's nice how sweet be kind let's encourage and you're like I'm more intense than that what else can I do <laughs> but encouragement is actually like some of the grittiest work you can ever do in your life yeah. if you've ever actually tried to encourage somebody you'll find out how hard it is to just genuinely encourage somebody because when we try to, when we, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it, it's, what I mean gritty is like when you start to encourage somebody else, it feels like all you see is yourself. And either like your insecurities come up and you're like, oh, I want to encourage them, but like not too much because then I feel bad about myself. Or like I want to encourage them, but they also have some flaws and so I don't want to build them up like too much because then they'll get arrogant. And then like, you know, I'm, like it's gritty, you know, to just like tell somebody something nice with no strings attached, like not compared to me, you're so much X, Y, Z. Encouragement is tough. It brings up all your nasty stuff. It brings up all their nasty stuff kind of too. Because you're like, hey, while we're talking, <laughs> there's also some other stuff. <laughs> it's hard to encourage someone when they're better at you or better than you at something you want to be good at. You ever? Yeah. Or it's hard to celebrate somebody else's success when they succeed at something you're failing at. It's, it can be hard to celebrate a gift somebody else gets when they get what you need. It's hard. Encouragement is tough. And it might sound silly to be, let's talk about encouragement. Everyone's like, typical church, how cool. This is hard. This is hard. It's hard to encourage people. In verses 1 through 10 
of 1 Thessalonians 5. We only read 8 through 11, but, but in verses 1 through 10, 1 Thessalonians is talking about the challenges of life in kind of a very broad stroke. I would say the summary of those first 10 verses is like, dang, life's tough. And, and then you add trying to follow Jesus on top of it, and this is hard. And there's challenges, and there's people in your life who, who don't want to follow God and who don't want you to follow God, and then there's things that happen and stuff comes up, and then you just kind of want to fall asleep sometimes in life and just it would be easier to just push cruise control and not care. You know, like that's basically the summary. I don't know if you ever felt like that or noticed that, but that's what the Bible says. It's kind of relevant to our everyday life. It's not all hunky-dory. It's like, this is hard. This is hard. Life's wild. There's challenges. And verse 11 comes along, and, and that's what the therefore is referring to, is verses 1 through 10. Life's tough. Following Jesus is hard. Therefore, in light of all these challenges we face, in light of the journey we're all on, in light of the difficulties that we all face, in light of the imperfections that we all have, encourage one another and build one another up. Build one another up. The Bible says right here, encouragement builds up. Therefore, encouragement should be the language of the church God builds. Encouragement builds up, and therefore it should be the language of the church that God builds. Sometimes us church folk need to work on our encouragement. We live in a world that's oftentimes more focused on tearing things down than building things up. Uh, if you've ever been a part of a construction project, you would know demolition is most of the times easier and definitely times quicker than building something up. It's easier to demo than it is to build. It's easier to walk away from a marriage than to build a healthier one. It's easier to walk away from a friend than build into a stronger relationship and history together. It's easier to tear someone down for their imperfections than build them up for their successes. It's easier to tear down someone with a different opinion than build up common ground so that you can find a solution together. It's easier to live your life in demolition mode than construction mode. And this human behavior that we have to tend towards demolition has found its way into the church. And it can be strong, this tendency that we all have. It can find its way into the church and, and, and that, that, we, that we are a part of, not, not just meaning necessarily just this local church, but just the people of God. This human behavior will find its way into this church that we find ourselves a part of. Jesus said, we, we started this series with this statement that Jesus made, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's why we're doing this series, The Church God Builds. Jesus says, I will build my church. And yet, even today, inside the church, there is a trending interest towards deconstructing the church. It's like, how did we get there? How, how, how did we get there? And as part of this church, like as the pastor of this church, like I want to be very clear that I am the last person that is going to tell you that our church is perfect or that the church is perfect. Like if you've got some things that could be better, I've got more. I love it. It's amazing. I don't want to go anywhere else, but it's not perfect. Like I had three chances this week to get offended by stuff that happened, which means there was at least three things that other people could have chosen to get offended by me by. That was just this week. Like it's not perfect. 
And so if you have things, like if you see things, if you're one of the people that see things that need to change in church, you have questions about church, you have pain in your life related to church, you have confusion in your life related to church, like by all means, with all sincerity and empathy, I say this in seriousness, please join the club. (laughs) Come on in. (laughs) Many times it seems like it'd be easier to walk away. Walk away from what God's calling you to. Walk away from the people of God that God calls us to live among. It'd be easier to walk away and just kind of try to tear the whole thing down. But if the gates of hell won't prevail against the church that God is building, you or I won't either. (laughs) So why don't we just sign up for the journey of building it instead of the impossible task of taking it down? (laughs) It just makes a whole lot more sense. Because building the church is hard, but tearing it down is impossible. So just because it's hard doesn't make me want to switch to the losing team, if you could say it that way. Amen? Encourage one another and build one another up. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4. We made it to Acts. Congratulations. I also have that bookmarked. So if you're new here, I'm really bad at bookmarking. It's an inside joke, I guess, we have as a church. So anyways, moving on. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be around verse 32 through 37, somewhere in there. We uh, meet in Acts. We've been highlighting some individuals in the book of Acts over the last few weeks that we can learn from so that we can be people who build God's church and fill God's church that he's building so we can see it built. Anybody want to build? We're going to meet a man this morning named Barnabas. It's a goofy name, Barnabas. But, but Barnabas was a builder. Barnabas built the church. Barnabas. Builder by the name Barnabas. I'm going to do it the whole message. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm done. I see a lot when I look at Barnabas' life as we, he's, he's kind of sprinkled through the book of Acts. He's sprinkled through the history of the early church. And when I look at his life, I see a lot that we can learn from him as far as how to be people who build into the church of God, who encourage one another and build one another up and be a part of the church that God is building. And what I see him doing in his life, as I was looking at him this week, I was learning so much from him and some different things he was doing reminded me of different phases that I hit when we were building this building. And uh, that was really cool, and so we're going to correlate those two things. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a building project, but if you, if you haven't, you can kind of just trust me along the way when I say that this is parts that I hit as we were building this church. I see Barnabas hitting as he was building into the people and building into the early church because Barnabas was committed to building the church. And so we, meet, we, we first meet uh, Barnabas here in Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verses uh, 34 through 47. But before we read that, just number one, we're going to have some, we're going to have four points. Everybody say four points. We got four. So if you're like, when's this over? It depends where we are. One, two, three, or four. We'll get there. Number one, what Barnabas did to build the church is he invested first. He invested first. Acts 4, 34 through 47 says this, it reads a lot like Acts 2 that we read earlier. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas had a name that wasn't Barnabas, and so for those of you who are like, his mother did not 
name him Barnabas. You're right, the apostles did. So his real name's Joseph, but they gave him this nickname, Son of Encouragement, like because he was apparently encouraging. And one thing that he did with the church is he invested first. And when you build something, when you take on a building project, you have to, the first thing you have to do is make an investment. Like you don't get anywhere without materials, without, you know, like it takes, it takes investment to get that thing off the ground. And, and that definitely includes money, but it's not just money. And so for, for our building here that you're sitting in this morning, when we knew that we were going to be building this out to look like how it looks and work how it works this morning, uh, ton, tons of people, like all 55 of them in the church at that point, like gave, gave money and, and invested money. And there was actually somebody who gave the proceeds from selling a house so that you could have a seat to sit in this morning. Like it happened. So people definitely gave money, but along the way, people had to invest a lot of other stuff too. There was a lot of time invested. There was a lot of effort. There was a lot of prayer. And, and ultimately, even really before all that, people had to invest a whole lot of faith. Like, it took faith to look at a group of 55 people in a building this big and the money number that big and be like, yeah, if I give something to this, it's actually going to turn into something. It took some faith to believe that this little bit I give, it's going to actually work and matter and, like, turn into something. you you, you got to have faith before you invest. And when you look at Barnabas's life, here we are, Acts chapter 4. It's early. Barnabas invested early. Like, early. He didn't wait to see how it turned out before he got behind it. Because he was encouraging. He, he, he wanted to encourage what was happening. So he got in early. He invested early. He had no clue where this was going. He had no clue how it was going to work. They barely kind of even knew who was really in charge. But he said, I'm in. That was Barnabas' mantra, I think. You know, this church showed up and they're like, dang, there's a lot of stuff happening. I think we should probably do this next, but I'm not really sure. And he's like, I'm in. I'll be there. Because he was encouraging. He wanted to build. He wanted to build people up. I mean, the thing before this chunk of verses that we read, like Peter and John, two of the main leaders, had just gotten in prison. Like, so far, it's not off to even a good start. They're like, let's do church, and they get arrested. <laughs> Barnabas is like, I'm in. <laughs> Barnabas is in. See, if, if Barnabas had just given money, then maybe he would have gotten a different nickname, like the, the son of generosity, or the, you know, like, the guy who sells fields and gives money. <laughs> if that was the one thing he gave. But he gave encouragement. Which means he, he, was, he was in, not just with his money, but he was in relationally. Like he was close enough to people to build them up. He was present. He was consistent. He was faithful. He was honorable. And, and he gave money, but really he just gave him. Barnabas gave himself. And, and, and he gave himself so that others could be encouraged and built up. In fact, the way that this reads, it doesn't say that they gave him the name Son of Encouragement after he gave the money. Before they'd say, really, what, where, where does it go? Here we go. Verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, sold the field and belonged to him. It doesn't say Joseph sold a field, so they gave him the name Barnabas because it was encouraging when he gave the field. It more reads like, if you go back, it's like there was not a needy person among them. All these people were selling fields and giving money. And of course Joseph did, who everybody just called encouragement because that's all he did of course Joseph showed up with a sold field and gave his money and when I bet when he came to Peter and John and put the money in his feet he probably didn't look at the money he put at their feet he probably looked them in the eye and said I believe in you I'm here I'm in 
He was encouraging. Basically, if you want to know what Barnabas looked like, what, what does it mean for a Barnabas to show up, an encourager to show up? Just look at my dad, right? <laughs> we should start calling him Barnabas around here, you know? Like, just walks in the room and everyone's like, yeah. Steve's here. You know, like every time he joins a conversation, he says hi to you on Sunday morning. Every time he gets up here on stage, every time he meets you for lunch, like you just get encouraged. Even when he stands up here and issues these like strong challenges, he's like, and you're awesome. And you're like, yeah. You know? Way to go, Dad. He invested. Barnabas invested. That's the first thing he did. The second thing that Barnabas did when you look through his life is he trusted the plans. He trusted the plans. I, uh, are those the kids next door? Okay, I'm so happy. Who was here when we were in Old National? We haven't heard the kids shout since Old National. Oh, man, we used to be on the other side of paper-thin doors of all the kids in Old National in the dungeon. If you've ever been there, the one that smells like weed and sticky like whiskey, that room, that's where we had church for a little over a year. And sometimes kids would just walk through the double doors in the middle of church. I'm preaching, and some kid would bust through the door and do the, like. <laughs> I am so pumped we just heard them screaming. Feeling nostalgic. Barnabas trusted the plans. Say, I trust the plans. In the process of building something, you will always have an opportunity to be terrified and question if what you're building is going to work. You're looking at it halfway done and thinking, is this what it's going to look like? Is this, it's going to get better than this, right? You got to trust the plans. I, I remember, uh, so if you serve in kids, you know what the triangle room is. The room affectionately known as the triangle because it's somewhat shaped like a triangle. Where our kids meet, and uh, we have new carpet in there since before we moved in here. There used to be old, nasty carpet in there, and during construction, it had concrete dust all in it. And there used to be a table back in there where the plans stayed through our whole construction process. And I remember many a late night standing in this building that we were in at that time, looking around, saying, is this going to get any better? Like, is this going to turn into that? Because I can see... Okay, we've got the plans, but uh, I'm scared. And I remember having like plenty of late nights back with, you know, on my face and concrete dust for an hour or a few <laughs> and praying really holy prayers like, I remember actually at one point, um, y'all know I-Town Church in town? So thankful for that church. They just opened a new building that they've been working on for a long time this weekend. And I remember actually real early on, I think it was in our building process, like we had the money for that, but money for nothing else. And I remember just like having one of those like ah, days. I remember coming into Sam and I was like, Sam, I need you to call I-Town and, and give them like, I don't know if we have like a hundred bucks, but you need to give them like a hundred bucks. Because I don't know if what we're doing is going to work, but surely what they're doing is going to work. <laughs> So you sewed into that building. 
And here we both are. Praise the Lord. My dad talked about Peter a few weeks ago when he preached. And uh, Peter becomes kind of one of the main characters in the book of Acts. He writes most of the New Testament. He plants most of the early church, first early churches around the world. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. But before all that, Paul, was a guy named Saul. Saul uh, was a guy who literally hunted Christian families so that he could kill them and imprison them. Not the guy you want around. And in Acts chapter 9, turn a few pages, told you we're covering some ground. In Acts chapter 9, short story is, Peter has, or Paul has this, Saul has this encounter with Jesus. He appears to him on the road, knocks him on his horse, says, why are you persecuting me? Makes him blind. Saul goes into the city Damascus where he like, doesn't eat or drink for three days, gets saved. And eventually he starts, he stays in Damascus for a while preaching Jesus. The people in town start getting saved, but then some of the people in town who have been around town now want to kill him for preaching Jesus. So Saul has gone from Saul to Paul, from killing Christians to planting churches. Now the people he was trying, or he used, he came to Damascus to kill people. Now not the same people he came to kill, but other people want to kill him. So he's like, I got to get out of here. And he's like, this actually stinks being chased to be killed. So I'm going to get out of here. So he thinks, surely, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was the hub for the early church. That's where kind of the rest of the apostles and early church leadership lived. So he thought, man, I'm going to run. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Jerusalem because surely they will welcome me in. Acts 9.26 tells us how the church reacted when Mr. Saul, now Paul, shows up. In verse 26, he says, oh, so I'm... I'm going to go, verse 26, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was actually a disciple. So he's getting chased to be killed, knocks on Peter's door, and Peter's like, nope. (laughs) By this time, Peter's like, I've been in prison, man. I'm sure Jesus would let you in, but not me. (laughs) Verse 27, look who shows up. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how on the road Paul had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. We'll keep reading 28 and 31. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. In verse 31, what happens because Barnabas vouched for Paul? So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Barnabas showed up. Barnabas clearly was a mainstay around leadership in the early church. So um, they had probably heard about what had been happening in Damascus because they probably knew that Paul, Saul had been sent to Damascus to kill now their Christian friends. And then they find out killed, he didn't kill anybody. He just changed his name and now he's preaching Jesus and that's weird. So they probably heard the story or at least a version of it because uh, that's probably just how news spread. I would think that that would be like worthy news to spread back to Jerusalem, right? Like surely they're like, hey, remember that guy? He's killing Apparently now he's not. Okay, so he probably heard the story. And so when Paul showed up, everybody else started focusing on who Paul used to be, but Barnabas decided to focus on who Paul was called to be. See, back in the whole conversion story, after Saul gets blinded and goes into Damascus, Jesus shows up to another guy. His name's Ananias. He's a Jesus follower. And Jesus shows up to him in a dream, and he says, hey, I want you to go to the city. Here's the street and everything you need to go to. There's a guy there, and I want you to pray for him and give him his, his sight back. And Ananias is like, uh, no, I know who that guy is. 
And, 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 and God, Jesus says this to him in, in uh, chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Jesus is like, but the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. When Paul showed up, everybody else decided to focus on the part before that. Barnabas decided, you know, I'm going to go with what Ananias said. I'm going to go with that part. I'm going to believe that part. See, Barnabas knew he could trust God's plan even when he wasn't sure he could trust God's man. And sometimes you don't know how this is going to work, but you got to trust the plans. Sometimes we try to correct, and we, we try to correct things with critique instead of empower them with encouragement. Come on, somebody. Paul knew who he had been. Paul knew where he had been. Paul knew what he had done. Paul knew what they were thinking about him. He didn't need anybody to remind him of that part. He needed somebody to stand up and believe in who he was called to be and where he was called to go and what he was called to do. And we need to be a church that believes in who people are called to be and where people are called to go and, and what people are called to do, not just focusing on who they've been and where they've been and what they've done. But Barnabas stood up and he said, you know what, this guy's a chosen instrument and I don't trust him, but I trust the one who wrote the plans. And if the author wrote him into the story, then I'm going to go with this guy. He trusted the plans. If we're going to build up the church, we've got to spend less time critiquing flaws and more time encouraging callings. Encourage one another. and Build one another up. Third thing Barnabas did is he worked with different materials. He worked with different materials. Uh, me and some guys in church actually built this stage that we're working with this morning. So, Tony, I saw you here, man of God. Adam Hafner, Daniel Toner, and a whole bunch of other people. And over the course of like three days, we put in combined like well over 80 hours into building this thing because it had to get done. And the morning after we finished it, our general contractor walks in and says, hey, I've got a problem. He said, the plans that you had didn't say this, but the master plans said that the stage has to get built with fire-treated lumber. And that's not fire-treated lumber. And so we went back and forth and tried to figure out if there was another solution around it. But by the next day, he gave me a phone call and said, it's got to come down and you got to start over. You got to get new lumber and start over. And I thought, dang. <laughs> in Acts chapter, we just read in 9 and in 10 verse and in, in chapter, <clears throat> we were just talking about Acts chapter 9. In chapters 10 through 14, Jesus is building his church. There's a lot of good stories in there that you should check out sometime. He's building his church, but, but he starts using all these people that nobody expected. He starts using people that nobody thought were on the material list, you could say. They had a plan. This whole good news gospel thing was for Jewish people. But the master plans apparently said something different. Up until this point, it had been only for the Jews, but as the gospel starts to spread, they start talking to non-Jews, too, called Gentiles. And in chapters 10 through 14, Jesus is doing all kinds of radical, outrageous things among the Gentiles. And all the Jews, the, like, like the OGs who like walked with Jesus, they're like, wait a second. They're not on the list. What are we going to do? One of the places that this was happening was a, a town called Antioch. Maybe you've heard of it. In Acts chapter 11. 
some Jesus followers had scattered to Antioch after Stephen was killed. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Stephen gets killed. Everybody runs except for the apostles. So some people, they go to Antioch. And in chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and to Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. They're sticking with the plan. But there were some of them, apparently got bored or whatever, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, spoke to the Greeks, the non-Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Wow, amazing. Jesus is now doing all of this in other people groups as well. Verse 22 says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. See, the leaders were all Jewish in Jerusalem. They hear about what's happening now among the Gentiles in Antioch. And they're like, is this weird? I don't know. Is this allowed? I don't know. Somebody should go check that out. Yeah. Uh, let's send Barnabas. Let's send Barnabas. They're kind of confused, so they send Barnabas. It looks different. The people look different. The people talk different. They probably worshipped a little different. They dressed a little different. They thought a little different. They had a little bit of a different background than everybody in Jerusalem. They probably had different preferences about how long church should go on Sundays and how it should be, how that time should be spent. They probably even had they voted back then, maybe would have voted for different people than some of the other folks would have voted for. So they tell Barnabas, this is different. Will you go check it out? See if this is legit. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all, of course. Great job, guys. Exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Oh, wait. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Barnabas. See, Saul stayed in Jerusalem for a little while, but then they sent him back to Damascus for like six to eight years because everyone's still scared of him. People still wanted to kill him. He needed to like learn a few things, like how to not kill people anymore. So he had, we haven't heard from Saul from nine to 11, six, about six to eight years later. Barnabas gets sent to Antioch. They're like, hey, this is different over here. Will you go check that out? Because it's probably bad, and you'll say no nicer than us. And he shows up and he's like, way to go, team. This is amazing. God is good. Praise the Lord. Let's preach the gospel. All these people get saved and he thinks, man, I need help. Who should I go get? And he's like, there's all these superstars in Jerusalem. Where's Saul been? And Tarsus was just down the road. So he's like, goes, finds him. And he's like, hey, dude, why don't you come join the team? Barnabas. Using different materials. He goes and gets Paul, and this is where Paul and Barnabas end up getting sent out on their first missionary journeys. Paul's the superstar guy, but where did Paul come from? Barnabas. Who went, Paul, who went with Paul? Barnabas. Who told him he wasn't a murderer anymore? Barnabas. Where'd they get sent out from? Antioch. Who didn't want to go into Antioch? Anybody in Jerusalem? Who encouraged what was happening in Antioch? Barnabas. It's different, but it's still God. Not every difference is the devil. Come on, somebody. Some differences are doctrine, but not all of them. Hello. Can you celebrate and encourage something different? 
Sometimes we're just different. And God wants to build his church with you. And God wants to build his church with people different than you too. Can you build them up? We don't have to be the same to be on the same team. I'm running out of time. We'll go like two minutes long this week and we'll do something new next week. Because we're already number four. I mean, we're, ba- we're practically there. Band, come on up. We'll see how many this goes. This last one's short. Number four, Barnabas was committed to seeing it to the end. If you're going to build something, you've got to be committed to seeing that thing to the end. There's no sense judging a project when it's 80% done, when it's 50% done, when it's 10% done. Heck, when it's 99% done, it's still not done. Things don't work at 99%. You gotta, you gotta finish that thing. Like you gotta put that last screw in, or the whole thing's gonna fall apart. I know it's just the last screw, but everything's hinging on that last screw. You gotta be committed to seeing that thing to the end. Acts chapter 15, turn one more page, or potentially two, depending on your version. Paul and Barnabas, they go to Antioch. They leave and they go plant all these churches everywhere among the Gentiles. They end up back in Jerusalem in Acts 15 because everyone's like, God's still doing stuff among the Gentiles. And they're like, yeah, it's okay. So everybody signs off on it. We're good. Now we get to verse 36. Paul and Barnabas are back. They've done the Jerusalem thing. Everybody's great. And now here's where we are, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. See, back in Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas are on their first journey, they're going, blowing and going, city to city. God's on the move. They go one place. They go another place. They're about to go to the next place. And they had this guy named John Mark with them. And before they went to like the third place, he's like, hey, guys, I got to go home. We don't, we're not told why, but he's got to go home. So now Acts 15, when Paul is like, hey, let's go back on another trip. That was cool. Barnabas is like, cool, I'll go get John Mark. Paul's like, no, you won't. They're like, why not? He's great. Hey, no, he's not. Remember that time he ditched us? Paul didn't take kindly to that. Paul's a bulldog. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that when they separated from each other, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas. He got a new friend and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul was a serious dude, but, but clearly Barnabas, Mr. Encourage, Mr. Encouragement, could hold his own in an argument when it came to his conviction, especially when it came to his conviction about what was in somebody. He knew how to fight. He fought for Paul in front of Peter, James, John, and the rest of them. And now he's like, hey, John Mark's coming with us. Paul says, no, he's not. So in my head, this is how the conversation goes. Hey, Barnabas, let's go to another trip, visit all those cool churches we started. Barnabas says, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll call John Mark. No, you won't. Yes, I will. He's super helpful. No, he's not. He's a quitter. And we can't trust him. Paul, he'll be fine. No way. Remember that time in Jerusalem when no one thought, when no one thought that you, he said, that was different, man. Martin says, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Paul says, I'm taking Silas. I'll need this. Barnabas like, cool, I'll take John Mark. <laughs> Paul's like, fine. You guys are going to do great. It's like, ah, shut up. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. And he leaves. 
storms out. Silas, come on. I was like, where's John Mark? Don't, I don't know. So they go. See, Barnabas and Paul, they have this disagreement and they split and we don't hear any more times of them actually going on these trips together anymore. But what we do see as you read the rest of the history of the early church is basically Paul came around on John Mark. In another letter in 2 Timothy, towards the end of Paul's life and Paul's ministry, he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's closing his letter in chapter 4, verse 11, just like he always would close a letter with some closing instructions, some closing thoughts. He'd usually say hey to some people. He'd usually ask for some people. And 2 Timothy 4, 11 says this. He's writing to Timothy. He's, things have been tough, but he's giving us some instructions. He says, Luke alone is with me. Did you get Mark? Bring him with you. He's really useful for me in the ministry. I know he kind of messed up that one time, but Paul grew up and he realizes, I remember that one time I messed up too. And he's actually really helpful. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs a Barnabas to see him till the end. We got to be Barnabas enough to see each other till the end. You'll probably ditch some people. You might get ditched. But let's see each other to the end. This church that God's building, hell won't prevail against it. Sometimes it feels like it is, but it won't if we'll just see it to the end. Now, I'm, I'm, I need some work personally. You do too. So, like, we can build this thing together, right? Why don't you stand up as we close? What if we did this? Is what I want to close with this morning. What if we did this? What if we encouraged one another and built one another up? We're going to worship as we close. I'm going to do my best to not make this thing go more than like three or four minutes long. The kids will be all right. Don't tell them I said that. We're going to have our prayer team come on up. And just like we always do, if you need prayer for anything in your life, we want you to be encouraged and built up. If you're feeling weak, shaky, you need anything, come get some prayer. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you're trying to build a life. The Bible says you're building on sand. And at some point, it's going to come tumbling down. If you want to build your life on the rock, come and give your life to Jesus this morning. People would love to pray with you, encourage you, build you up, and let you be made a new person this morning by the grace of God. If you don't want to come alone, get the person who came with you. We're all friends here. Let's worship and believe that this Spirit of God wants to fill us so we can build the church. We can encourage one another and build one another up. God, we thank you for just these last couple of minutes we have. We thank you that you move in these last few minutes. We're asking for miracles. We're asking for encouragement to be built up. I'm asking God that if anybody's here this morning that doesn't know you, that you'd pull on their heart in a way that couldn't be denied, that couldn't be turned away from, Lord. We all want to take our next step towards you. As we lift up your name, would you build us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.